Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, April the 15th, 2018. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and over at our friends, The Grueling Truth, which is a member of the iHeart Radio Network. Hope everybody's doing well. Coming to you just a little bit after the Mets 3-2 win over the Milwaukee Brewers. Mets take two out of three in the three-game set. Very cold and raw day at City Field today. Mets are now 12-2 and two on the regular season. You could not ask for a better start. And joining me in just a little bit, good friend of the program. He's been on SiriusXM. Uh, you've probably heard him there. Uh, he's had his own radio network. Uh, he was out in St. Louis, uh, Colorado. He's been in radio a long time. Now he's back in the New York state of mind. It's Dino Costa. He'll be joining me 
Dino's on the AM 970 uh, program, uh, The Answer, from uh, Tuesday to Friday from 12 to 3 a.m. He does a New York sports talk, and he'll be talking Mets with me in just a little bit. Before we get to Dino, let me uh, set this up here a little bit. And, you know, you don't want to – and the last time I saw you guys, it was right after the WLIE 540 a.m. program that I subbed in for Rich Catino. So it was in the middle of that wild Mets-Nats game last uh last weekend and the um you know the, the, the you know it's kind of a house money game you know the Mets could win it lose it whatever it really didn't change the analysis of w- where you were with this Mets team which was certainly very excited after a really good week of baseball well after winning that extra inning game and dodging a couple of bullets throughout uh, the Mets went on to win almost another week's worth of games, and after their win today are 12-2 and two with the Nats coming in. Uh, the Nats are now six games back, so this is kind of an early – I want to talk about the baseball season being a marathon. The Mets jumped out a pretty good amount of lengths from the pack, and the Nats being their main competition. Of course, you have the Braves, the Phillies. You know, We're not really counting the Marlins who are in the rebuilding mode, but keep an eye on the Phillies. They've been playing better. Uh, the Braves you know, have some talent, so I don't want to discount them, but – Right now, the Nats are the team you're looking at because they're the team that you most seriously believe could get their act together and go on a run and put some pressure on the Mets. But here's what I see. I'm not going to get too deep into the numbers here because, you know, numbers to me, the first, geez, four, five, six weeks of the season, one way or the other, it really doesn't make a difference because they're going to fluctuate. They're going to go up and down. Ioannis Cespedes is not going to hit 190 for the year. I mean, I'd be very surprised. And that's where he's about at right now after his performance today. So, uh, and I don't think UNSS, but this is going to be a below league average hitter for the year. And, and, and I don't know if, uh, you know, Todd Frazier is going to have a 170 OPS plus for the whole year and, and hit 300. So on that flip side, but what I see from the Mets right now is an energy level, an energy level that every game, every series, they're going out there, taking it very seriously. They're not mailing anything in. You could have easily mailed in the Washington game last week on Sunday. And said, ah, you know, we could have, you know, took two out of three, be satisfied. You easily could have mailed in the final Miami game, getting no hit. Ah, good road trip, five and one. We'll take it. And then after last night and to today, Cole Syndergaard didn't go as deep as you want. Some bad play. You know, this was the kind of game last year that I certainly think the Mets would have lost. But in each case, the Mets won. Uh, they have seven come-from-behind wins. They had something crazy like at one point in 23 innings where uh, the other team scored. They had like 12 times they came back and tied the game. You saw that with Brandon Nimmo today with the home run. Uh, this is a team that's bringing it and bringing it every night and continues to come and, and bring their best effort. And if you're the opposition, you've got to really put your best foot forward you got to really be on your toes to beat this team right now. And, and that's a great foundation. And that starts from the top. That starts from management. That starts with the manager. That starts with the pitching coach. Certainly that starts with the veteran leadership in the clubhouse. I kept telling you guys the last couple of years this wasn't as bad of a team as it was uh, performing on the field. Yes, again, you saw it today. Defensively, there's limitations. Yes, they're a little feast or famine with the offense. They can – be prone to brownouts. The, the starting pitching, the help will always be a question. Uh, the bullpen I always thought was mismanaged. We're not going to get into that. But there's a good energy level. 
that all of a sudden now you're seeing the best out of these guys day in and day out. There's an acceptance of roles. Brandon Nimmo gets sent down a week ago, and Mickey Cowley's talking about how it was the best conversation he's had on a send down from his memory. Brandon Nimmo had no reason to be sent down other than the fact that in spring training, Mickey Calloway said, if you have options, if you're a guy like Jacob Rain who, who had a big save a week ago but now is in Vegas, you might get sent down because you have options. If you're Brandon Nimmo, you might get sent, sent down if they need an extra arm. And that's going to go for some other guys with options on this team. Uh, Reyes, a veteran coming back here, accepting a role as a backup. The bullpen, you know, I'm, not, I'm sure A.J. Ramos wants to close. I don't think he wants to come in and get a hitter here, a hitter there. But on this team, they're all accepting of their role. They're embracing it. Um, and that's a big thing. You know, that, that to me uh, says a lot. You know, a guy like Ioannis Cespedes with the flu, with a cold or whatever he had, not wanting to take a day off, he wants to show everybody, hey, I'm not a dog. I'm not here to just chill and collect my check. You know, you have to – that says a lot. That shows a lot to the rest of the team. By no means am I saying that Cespedes is his leader now. I think those are – that's kind of where Todd Frazier comes into play. But, you know, the leader by example, the energy level, you know, the, the, what that tells the rest of the team, if Cespedes could grind it out when he easily could have taken a day off, then you know what? Who the hell is anybody else to do that? Not taking at-bats off, not taking games off. That's how you win divisions. That's how you make the playoffs. That's how you set a good foundation, a good culture. And that's how you put yourself in the best position to win. And it hasn't been the case here in a really, really, really long time. And I'm not sure it was the case here in 2015 all that much either until the end of the season, more so towards the playoffs. I wasn't sure if you even had that component. That was kind of lightning in the bottle. And then once you get into the playoffs and it's a tournament, how the hell can't you do all those things? How can you not suck it up and come to play? How can you not sacrifice? How can you not accept your role? But you know what? To get to the tournament, to get to those five and seven game series, you have to do a lot of work. And this idea that you just bunch it into six weeks or you hang out and things will come together because you're this kind of team. That's not the way it works. You have to start from day one. The Nat, and, and what you're seeing the Mets doing is what the Nats have done to the Mets number of times over the last four or five, six years. Come out from the gate, burn it. And they set the tone. They take control of the division. You're going to have your peaks and valleys. Every team does. But eventually, you set a solid foundation where uh, when it's all said and done, you look up, you got yourself a 90, 92, 95 win team, and those are the teams that go into the playoffs and set themselves up for success, and that's what this team is doing. Uh, you can't say enough. You can't say enough about any of the performances. And look, they're not all hitting great. Cespedes has got an OPS under 700. Rosario, for as exciting as he can be, still swings at too many bad pitches. Uh, he's not hitting a heck of a lot. Defense was a little questionable today. Probably had something to do a little bit with the weather. He needs to adjust to that. Uh, you know, Flores up until today is hitting well under 200. He had the big home run. Uh, Adrian Gonzalez is not really hitting for much power other than the grand slam. But when you start to look up and down, uh, even, you know, the pitchers, the Grom and Syndergaard, the Syndergaard was, was, was better today, but they haven't hit their stride, either of them yet. They haven't been themselves I mean, think about it. And yeah, I saw the fan fan graphs post which said, well, you know, the Mets, of course, they're twelve and two. You know, more than half their starts have been by uh, Syndergaard. You know, they got fourteen games, and six of them are at this point anyway have been started. Almost half by uh, Syndergaard and Degrom. At the end of the year, it's not going to be that way when you factor in their thirty thirty two starts each against a hundred sixty two game schedule. But so what? They haven't been great. 
I haven't really felt either one of them have given you vintage Syndergaard or DeGrom. I think all of you would agree on that. You know, Harvey hasn't been great. We'll get to him. I have some thoughts on him. Uh, you know, Matt's up and down. Wheeler had one good outing. Let's see him do it against a, a, a professional team like the Nats this week. I mean, the bullpen really has carried them. I mean, that's, I mean, how can you be much better than all the zero ERAs? Ramos, no runs. Familia, no runs. Blevins, no runs. And, and, and some of those, if you start to look at their fielding independent pitching, which just factors what they can control, the walks, the home runs, the strikeouts, they're not as good as their ERAs indicate, but they're getting the job done. And they're coming in, they're accepting their role, and they're getting the job done, and they're having fun, and they're excited, and they're bringing this kind of energy. I said week one. I just threw it in. We did a quick intro week one when I talked about opening weekend. The energy was very evident. And that's not the only thing that's going to take them to the promised land. They have to execute. They have to be better. There's a, the starting pitching has to be better. The bullpen has to, you know, the walks are a little high if you start looking at the bullpen. they got to fix that. The offense right now, seven come from behind wins. I think it's been more timely than solid. So you want to be able to go out there and get yourself a couple of easy wins so that you don't have to overuse this bullpen. So there's 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 things that, that can be worked on. And as far as storm clouds, yeah, there's storm clouds. The catchers, look, you lost two catchers in, in, in within a 48-hour span. Darno out for the year with Tommy John surgery. Plawecki, he'll be back in three or four weeks. So you're going to have to go with Nitto. You're going to have to go with Lobatone. Really, at this point, if the catchers give you any offense where they could be replacement level, and frame and defend and maybe throw out a runner or two because that's a really big problem with this this staff. They're very easy to run on, and you don't want to have singles turn into doubles and triples that easily. That's going to be hard to pitch to after a certain amount of time. I'm fine with going Lobaton and Nitto. They don't have to go out and panic and go get themselves a Real Muto. Of course, you go out and monitor the catching market. You know, you're going to do that. And maybe Sandy Olsen at some point will say, I need to bring in a veteran receiver at some point, one that is a little bit better than what he has. But he doesn't have to do that in April. And I don't even know if that's going to be real Muto. I wouldn't, in a farm system which is just starting to see some of the prospects that were promising, but everybody was down on, like Anthony Kay. You know, you see that, and, 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 and you don't know what you're going to get out of a Peter Alonzo. You know, there's a couple of interesting bullpen arms up and down the organization. It's not time to start cleaning out. Or even the guys in the low levels, you know, the top one or two prospects, the Jimenez or guys like that. Not time to start saying, let's just throw them at the Marlins to get Real, Real Muto here. You don't have to do that. You've got to handle storm clouds. So that's one storm cloud. The other storm cloud, I would say, look, the starting pitchers have to start giving you better length. And I heard Mickey Calloway in the postgame talk about why he took uh, Syndergaard out after five and third and 100 pitches. Day like today, like he said, it's about staying healthy. Look, I saw Doc Gooden many years ago, throw 150 pitches on a day like today. In 1990, less than uh, six months from having a serious shoulder injury. You know, And that was in the era of Davey Johnson in the 80s Mets, and I don't think anybody would have accused them of being incompetent. But, and, and you, know, you look back, and maybe some of those taxing ways that they treated a David Cohn and a Doc Gooden took years off their career. And, and you could go back and look at the numbers and the pitch counts. And if you remember and old enough to remember some of the conditions, they pushed their starting pitchers. So I'm not suggesting that Syndergaard should have been taken, uh, you know, should have been going and pushed to 120 pitches in a day like today. That's not what I'm suggesting. But at some point, you know, in a game like in Miami and more of a controlled environment, yeah, I expect you to go seven innings and 120 pitches. I, th- I think that's, that's if you want to be considered an elite top of the rotation ace, you have to do that. 
five, five and a third, five and two thirds, six. That's really not an ace. That's a really solid number two, uh, number three. And that's what they're pitching like. And that's DeGrom, too. They're pitching like, yeah, they're really good, solid number threes who could be number ones or number twos. Pitching that way. And I think they will, especially DeGrom. And I'm sure Syndergaard will come along. So you've got to give them the length. You've got to get six more outs. You've got to take away the need to go to Gazelman and Lugo every night. Uh, you've got to be able to, uh, you know, give Ramos a day off. You know, Blevins, look, a lefty like that. I also think he's going to have to expect to pitch almost every day because he's only asked to one get one batter out. But it's also about how often do you get him hot. You know, these are things that were not the strengths of the Collins Worthen regime, uh, especially with situational lefties. So it's not just about how they get into the game; it's how often they get hot. You know, and things like that. So it starts with the starting pitchers. It starts with the length they give you. But look, last night was a night where Seawald came in. And he ate three innings, and he looked really sharp, and maybe he gave you something to think about in a game where you're not behind, where Seawold could come in and maybe get some of those big outs that Gazelman and Lugo get, or maybe Ramos get if you want to give them a day off. So uh, to me, uh, those are the two storm clouds, uh, the catching situation, the length of the starting pitchers. Um, you know, Maybe if you want to add in the fact that the hitters have been very timely, which is a big thing, but maybe not all that good. You, know, you haven't seen much out of Cespedes yet. Conforto hasn't really got going. Uh, Jay Bruce has been okay. Really, Todd Frazier and Cabrera have been the only two that have been lights out in this offense. You know, Gonzalez had a couple of moments. Rosario, eh, you know, offensively, you know. But, look, again, the fact that they're 12-2, and two, and I can point to some very detailed situations where, you know, not everything is clicking on all cylinders with the pitching and the offense, that's a really good sign. And a lot of that's to come where every day you come in knowing your role and you try to come and bring it every day, you'd be surprised what a team could accomplish. I know that that's anecdotal. I know that that sounds cliche, but it, so far it's really been the case. Everybody's playing within themselves and contributing at a level that's acceptable for who they are and what their role is on the roster. And if you don't like Brandon Nimmo by now, and I've been down on Nimmo at times, too passive, you know, not necessarily the impact bat you would expect from a number one draft pick. Who knows? You know, this is a guy that eventually, you know, if he continues to show the plate discipline, the ability to want to be in a big spot, the energy, the attitude. I mean, how many players would be okay if their hot start getting sent down for no other reason than, eh, it's numbers. By the way, that affects service time and money and free agency. So it's not just about him getting playing time. It affects him in the wallet at some point. So, you know, to me... That says a lot about this team and the kind of guys and Brandon Nimmo. And you know what? That's a guy to keep an eye out for because at some point he may become a really solid starting piece in this lineup. It's too bad he can't play first base because I think he'd be a nice first base position, you know, guy that could be in the lineup. Maybe that's something to think about down the road, right? not right now. Anyway, let's take a break. When we return, Dino Costa of 970 AM, The Answer at Dino Radio NYC will join me. We'll get his thoughts on the Mets. We'll talk about... What he's doing there over at 9:70 a.m. and talking New York sports. You remember Dino from Mad Dog Radio, and you know he had spent a lot of time on that channel, and he's he's done a couple other projects throughout his career here in New York. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsMarizeOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and whatever podcasting service you desire. We'll be back with Dino Costa of 9:70 a.m. Radio right after this. One, two coming. And Flores hits it out to left center field. Back in the gap toward the wall. It's out of here. 
Wilmer Flores ends it with a walk-off home run. The Mets' first walk-off win of the year, and it's Wilmer who provides the game-ender. Joining us uh, from uh, AM 970, The Answer, Tuesday to Friday from uh, 12 to 3 a.m. You can check him out on Twitter at Dino Radio NYC. You guys know him from his time over at Mad Dog Radio, as well as a number of other projects he's been involved in. It's Dino Costa. He's now talking New York sports, and he's joining us here. Let's talk a little Mets baseball. Dino, pleasure to have you on. Welcome, uh, I guess, back to the Big Apple. How you doing? Yeah, Mike, it's good to be back, and thanks so much. And I could listen to that Jane Jarvis uh, melody that you play there at the start of your show uh, uh, a couple more times. That's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, listen, you uh, you certainly uh, have, have done a lot in radio, and you've been outside of New York, but you've always maintained that the Mets have been one of your teams. You're also a Devils fan. I know you're probably pretty psyched about uh, the playoffs and the Devils, but let's talk some Mets baseball. And historic start, 12-2 and two start. Despite all the cold and raw weather this weekend, um, give me your succinct analysis of the Mets. I know you were at last night's game and covered the game as well. Yeah, and I brought a lot of uh, luck uh, to City Field with me. Uh, that broke their nine-game losing streak, so I'll, I'll try to stay away from City Field from now on. But uh, to be serious, I mean, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, a historic start, and um, I think a much-needed start for the Mets. You know, I've been saying on my radio program the last couple of weeks uh, before the season actually started that I felt it was imperative that the Mets get off to a good start to, uh, uh, to instill a, a winning culture uh, within the team and also to, you know, wash out the, uh, the season they had uh, a year ago, uh, you know, new staff, uh, Mickey Calloway, uh, some new players and Todd Frazier and, and some other guys, the pitching staff, of course, which uh, still continues to be a big question mark with this team. Uh, I just thought it was very important that they get off to a good start. Now, I didn't think it'd be 12 and two or 11 and one, but that they got out of the box in a positive fashion and they started to believe that they could uh, compete and contend this year. And so far, so good. You got to love the contributions they're getting from uh, the entire 25 man roster for the most part. And, uh, today was a, another perfect example of that. Uh, Nimmo, uh, who plays sparingly, uh, hits the home run that ties the game after they fall behind. And then uh, Wilmer Flores in the uh, in the bottom of the ninth with two out puts the ball over the wall and the Mets uh, uh, win again after uh, losing last night. So if you're a Mets fan, you got to be very excited. And I think that what this uh, this start does for them is it it gives them some cushion you know, moving down uh, through the next several uh, weeks and months ahead. I think I said on my show the other night, Mike, that uh, based off of the 11-1 and start, if they went uh, 500 the rest of the way, they'd win, I think, uh, 87 games if they merely played 500 balls. So if they can do a little bit better than that, then uh, they're on a pace for, for 90-plus wins. And, of course, that puts them in a great position to get back to the postseason. It's been a lot of fun. It's been, uh, it's been uh, nice to watch this team. Uh, winning so many games so early in the season. Dino Costa joining us. Dino is on AM 970 Radio. You can check him out 12 to 3 a.m. Check him out on Twitter at Dino Radio NYC. And and you mentioned Brandon Nimmo, a Wyoming boy. You've spent some time out there in Wyoming, and he really symbolizes what I feel is the most important part of this group. Now, look, you have to have talent, and you mentioned the starting pitching, and I know that the 
health is is still something that's fluid, and and we'll get to that uh, performance as well. But the energy level that this team has nightly, the fact that they're accepting of their roles, uh, you know, Nimmo specifically gets sent down earlier in the week because for no other reason than he has options and they need a, a pitcher to come out of the bullpen. And he's like, look, you know, I'll do what I can control, and I, I, you know, I'll worry about what I can control. And 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 he understood that, and I'm sure he wasn't happy. But here he goes, comes back, hits a home run, and a lot of these guys, whether it's Ramos, you know, not becoming the closer and pitching to a couple of batters, you know, the bullpen guys like Lugo, who could have been a starter, you know, going into the bullpen, excelling, um, up and down. I think these guys understand what their role is. And I think that's so important. On top of that, the energy level and the sense of urgency, like you said, to start the season. To me, forget the numbers for a second. That, to me, is a is a big theme of this 12-2 and two start. Yeah, Mike, you make some great uh, points, uh, all of them. And uh, you're right. I agree with, with everything you say. Uh, you know, just alluding back to what I said a second ago about uh, getting contributions from everyone on the roster, and 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 you uh, uh, talked about the you know players accepting their roles and and becoming uh, productive uh, pieces of this team uh, off the bench, and and guys to play sparingly. Whether it's you know the, the two guys today that really excelled with Flores, and of course Nimmo, as you mentioned before, uh, Gesellman in the bullpen, uh, Lugo, as you mentioned. Uh, there's a great chemistry that seems to be building. Uh, with this club, I feel like uh, you get the sense this is a very tight-knit bunch. I think Callaway and his coaching staff really need to be commended for merging all the components and bringing these guys together uh, with a team-first mentality. Um, and as far as Nimmo is concerned, yeah, he's uh, you know uh, living in Wyoming the last six years. I got to know Brandon Nimmo pretty well. And, uh, of course, in Wyoming, they don't have high school baseball. They've got the American Legion ball, and he was part of the most successful American Legion team in the state of Wyoming post six, and uh, yeah, I've I, I've always liked Brandon. I I think he, you know, one of the things you see, Mike, I think you'd agree, is he goes up there and he 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 never uh, wastes an at bat, uh, never gives one away. He's always working the count. Uh, he's a guy that puts the ball uh, in play most times, doesn't strike out, draws his uh, share of walks. Um, the thing I love about Nimmo is, is he's a grinder, Mike, and the Mets have not had players like that the last couple of years. I've said on my show the Mets could use more guys like Brandon Nimmo, um, and you just get the feeling that when, wherever you plug him in and whenever Mickey Calloway calls upon him that uh, you know he's going to give a 1,000% maximum effort and uh, just wants to contribute to the team in any way he can, and, and so far so good. And uh, uh, He's a player to watch going forward because I think he's going to be instrumental in the Mets' success this season. And I think you mentioned grinders. I think Todd Frazier would fall into that. And look, he's he's off to a great start. I mean, offensively, he's got great dis, great discipline. But it's no coincidence that he seems to be the guy when the pitchers get into a little bit of trouble going over to the mound. Uh, you know, he seems to have taken this whole salt and pepper thing pretty seriously. And and it's amazing how a guy that was pretty much on the scrap heap, nobody wanted him, a very reasonable two year deal could come in and you know look maybe I'm overstating it it's only 13 games or 14 games he's played but I think that he's brought this leadership component this grit that you talk about that they've been missing um, and maybe in a way replacing what they might have gotten from David Wright if he was healthy yeah he's you know he all the things you said uh, you, you continue to hit on some great points Mike I he's a sage you know he's quickly become the mayor of the Mets clubhouse I think in a lot of different ways and 
you mentioned he comes in from third base and, you know, gives a pep talk to the pitcher or whatever. I, I think we haven't seen that in years. I know Keith Hernandez obviously used to do that a lot uh, when he was with the Mets. But uh, I, I advocated very strongly going back months ago before Frazier signed with the Mets for the Mets to, to, to get him because I thought he could be a perfect complement to this team and provide, you know, in, in the age of analytics where everything is – is measured and looked at. One of the things about Frazier is that he brings intangibles to the club that maybe aren't able to be measured. You know, the unmeasurable qualities, uh, the things that, uh, uh, you know, don't really show up in a box score. Um, I think Todd Frazier brings a lot of that. I think he brings a winning mentality. I think he is uh, a big part of the culture change that we've seen uh, in the first couple weeks of the season. And I think it started right from the moment they signed him with his opening press conference and, and the things he said that he, you know, then carried into spring training and right into the start of the season. Um, he's loosened up that clubhouse. I think, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, he's not, the, the Mets don't have a captain right now, per se, with, with Wright not being on the, on, the, on the playing roster. But if there's a guy that's a captain of this team in an unofficial capacity, I think you could look at Todd Frazier as being that guy. So, um, he seems to love playing here, enjoyed his time with the Yankees last year. And, um, you know, uh, we're fortunate uh, as Mets fans that, uh, you know, the Yankees were only willing to go a year with him as, as most other clubs were uh, probably only willing to go a year with him. And I thought it was a, it was a very good signing by Sandy Alderson and, uh, so far so good with Todd Frazier. So let's hope, uh, let's hope we see more of what he's brought to the table, uh, over the next several weeks and months ahead. You can uh, check Dino out at thedinoshow.com, at Dino Radio NYC, 12 to 3 a.m. on AM 970, all New York sports, not just baseball, talking all New York sports. And uh, during a time when there's a lot of transition in New York sports radio, uh, somebody that I think could uh, bring some sanity to the airwaves in this town. Uh, Good starts don't come without storm clouds, Dino. And uh, Travis Darno's out for the year. Kevin Pelucci will be down for a few weeks. Um, yeah. Also, the starting pitchers you mentioned a little earlier, they're not really giving you the length. So a couple of things here. First, I'm not in the camp, and I'm curious your thoughts of going out, running out, and panicking, going out, trying to overpay for a real Muto. Or, or you know, and I'm not saying give up a top prospect, but give up anything of value just to bring a catcher of some experience in here. I'd say let's see what Lobatone and Nitto have. I don't think they're going to kill you uh, as long as they're good defensively. As far as the starting pitchers, uh, the Grom and Syndergaard, even in this start, have not really been vintage the Grom and Syndergaard. Syndergaard was really good today, but he didn't give them length. And then Matt Harvey, who you watched last night, you know, he still is shown to be, I mean, he couldn't be any worse than he was last year, but he's still very hittable against good offensive teams. You saw him get hit a little bit last night and then um, against Washington a week earlier. Uh, The starting pitchers have to give length. It has to start with the Grom and Syndergaard. I don't see why you can't push them to about 120 pitches. I know today was a raw day. I, I understand maybe why they didn't do that with uh, Syndergaard, but part of that is efficiency. Part of that is how they go about their uh, craft. So uh, to me, those would be the two storm clouds, the catching situation, and then the starting pitching, which could lead to maybe bullpen overutilization, a bullpen that should be strong if it's rested and used properly. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more on, on, on your uh, perception of the catching situation, Mike. I, I, I am also in your camp. I, I don't think that the Mets should panic here. Um, you know, the cost of bringing in a real Muto or, or anyone else, uh, I think, uh, might, pro, might be prohibitive uh, for this team right now. I'm, I'm quite content with Nito and, uh, and Lobaton, at least for the time being. And then Ploiecki comes back, hopefully, in about a month. 
these guys can hold the fort until then. They're not going to give you a lot with the bat, uh, but uh, you know what you want is uh, for these guys to go out there and call a good game. And anything you know extra they give you with the bat is going to be uh, is, is just going to be gravy. So I don't think that uh, Alderson should uh, should panic in this situation and 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 feel as though he's got an urgent need at catcher. I think. You play Nito and you play Lobaton together over the next couple of weeks, and then whichever of those two catchers is playing the best at that point, when Plowicki comes back, he slides back into the starting role, obviously, and then you keep either Lobaton or uh, Nito as the backup. I, I like Nito. I think he's a he's a, he's a respectable catcher, and um, I think he's going to get his fair share of hits. He's not certainly going to be a guy that's going to light the world on fire uh, from the batter's box, but I think he could be the perfect complement to your starting catcher. Um, as far as the pitching staff is concerned, uh, yeah, you'd like to see a little bit more length uh, with these guys. Uh, I think the weather in the first couple of weeks, Sands, that series, of course, in Miami, uh, has precluded them from maybe going as deep into games as, as we'd like to see. And it's still relatively early in the season, but uh, I, I did know what you said about the bullpen and, and overtaxing it. I don't think they've done that at this point right now. I thought Callaway made a very good point in the postgame today, Mike, when uh, he said, you know, in a perfect world, and I'm, I may be paraphrasing a bit here, but he said in a perfect world, you'd, you'd love for your starters to go longer and not use the bullpen as much as the Mets have had to use it. And I think the Mets, just like other teams, have had to use their bullpen, you know, pretty significantly over the first couple of weeks of the season, especially given the weather across the country. But uh, Callaway said, listen, at the end of the day, the objective is to win the game. And if that means that we've got to go to the bullpen in certain situations where maybe we would like to see the starter out there uh, for a longer duration of time, well, then we've got to do that. But um, I think that uh, Syndergaard and Harvey at the top, you're right. They have, you said they've not been vintage. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Harvey last night was, was not very good. And, and Callaway said in the postgame, this is something he has said about Harvey couple different times over the first couple of weeks of the season, not only Harvey, but a couple of the other pitchers as well, and that they're not pitching with conviction. And um, uh, b- meaning, of course, that uh, it can mean a couple of different things. Number one, that Harvey is not trusting his stuff. Or number two, he's thinking about mechanics too much on the mound. Syndergaard talked about that after the game today, where he said, you know, part of his success today was he acknowledged that he was thinking too much about his overall mechanics while he was on the mound in a couple of his starts the season and that was not allowing him to let his natural talent flourish. And uh, I think today Noah was uh, was more Noah-like, and you'd like to see more of, of, of what he you know gave you today. But um, listen, the top two, I think, are going to be okay, health provided. Harvey, I still hold out hope that he's going to be able to be a better pitcher than what he showed last night. There's been glimpses this year of him you know, kind of finding his stuff on a more consistent basis. I don't think we're ever going to see the Harvey of uh, three and four years ago. I think those days are are long gone. Um, and as far as the rest of the staff is concerned, I remain very high on Matt's. I I think that by midseason, uh, working with uh, Dave Island and, and, and Mickey Calloway, I think Matt's is, is going to be a, a consistent pitcher. I love his stuff. Uh, I think that's another guy that needs to think less about mechanics and just allowing his natural talent to flow. And then when Vargas gets back, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I, I think that uh, the staff certainly is emphasizing winning and not developing. And I think all these guys, you know, after you get through the first two guys at the top of the rotation, Mike, I think all these guys will be on short leashes that, you know, a couple of bad performances in a row and, uh, you know, the, the, the Mets could change some things up and, you know, maybe give Lugo a start or maybe give Gesellman a start or, you know, they, I know they called up Corey Oswalt uh, last week. 
he's another guy to keep your eyes on. But uh, I, th- I think that as far as the staff overall is concerned, I think we need to get another three, four weeks, maybe a month down the road, and I think we'll have a much better read on, on the staff from top to bottom. Yeah, and the kind of competition, I think, is always good. It keeps everybody honest. There's no guarantee yeah. that Matt Harvey will, will stay in the, the rotation. It doesn't matter what your resume is or – what the back of the baseball card says. It's about what you're doing now and about winning. And, and I think for a long time, uh, everybody was on scholarships here. Hey, you, you always have been uh, a very compelling uh, talk show host. Anywhere you've been, you've, you've blended sports and politics and current events into your uh, uh, show. And, and now you're doing New York uh, sports and talk. And I mean, you've always been good at a good rant or, you know, something that really got the juices flowing, the callers in, the debate in. Give me a good uh, topic that's really, you know, got you going over the last week. Has there been something baseball-related, something New York sports-related? Give the list of the <laughs> listeners here a flair of, of what's going on with Dino Costa. And when they tune in to AM 970, you know, what's really got, got your blood boiling? Which, what's got you going uh, out there? Well, I don't know if it, you know, I would describe it as blood boiling, but you know, certainly I can be very emotional and passionate on the air, especially given uh, my ability to procure opinion uh, as regularly as I do. But uh, I, I think it's the, the the whole mixture, Michael, of the the, the New York sports scene. You know, uh, one of the things that I touched upon last week uh, was the uh, if you go back to last Sunday night. Uh, was the A-Rod situation where uh, he said that you know, uh, thinking back now with plenty of time and distance. Uh, after he signed with the Texas Rangers coming off of that uh, 2000 season, that perhaps he would have taken more control of uh, his career and not allowed his agent to basically dictate all the terms uh, 100%. And it's ironic that A-Rod mentioned this because just the week leading up to that Sunday night ESPN telecast, um, I had uh, talked about the what I feel is a gargantuan opportunity that the Mets missed back in 2000 by not coming to an agreement with A-Rod, which would have uh, changed the trajectory of the Mets franchise in a significant way, uh, as well as some other teams. And the Mets would have had a historical player uh, with them that, uh, you know, his number would have been retired, uh, the the number of home runs and RBIs and the number of tickets sold and the the whole impact of A-Rod on the Mets. um, It would have been interesting to see, you know, how that would have materialized. And, And I always felt that the Mets missed an opportunity there. And, and then Jim Duquette uh, responded after that, the former Mets general manager, who I've got a wealth of respect for. I've known Jim for a very long time. But Jim was on a radio show uh, the next day and said, hey, listen, uh, you know, A-Rod wanted this and A-Rod wanted that. And, and my whole point was, listen, you were dealing with a not only a historical player, but at the age of 26 coming off of that 2000 season and a, a player who was, you know, giving off significant vibes that he wanted to join the Mets. You know, A-Rod grew up a Mets fan, you know, was a passionate Mets fan, wanted to play for the Mets. And I felt that once the uh, negotiations commenced, that the Mets uh, were too knee-jerkish in their reaction of just closing the door in a very, very fast way. And and as I go back and I think about it, um, it's unfortunate that the Mets didn't say to themselves, hey, listen, okay, fine, he wants a merchandising tent or he wants this or he wants that. Uh, let's meet with him. You know, let's let's call Boris and get a meeting with A-Rod so we can get a better sense. Maybe we can negotiate some of these things. Certainly, maybe the Mets are not going to give him everything that he wanted at that time, but, um, you know, we're going to give A-Rod uh, A, B, and C, but not, uh, you know, uh, uh, D, F, and G. It's, you know, and we'll pay him, you know, $200 million, and, and you're going to bring the best player in the, in the game uh, to the Mets starting with the 2001 season. 
And I said, I mean, you know, come on, you're going to tell me that you're going to allow a mer- the request for a merchandising tent to keep you from the best player in the game at that time? Um, and then, you know, uh, Duquette also said, well, he wasn't sure if Piazza would have gotten along with uh, A-Rod. And I said, well, what the hell does that matter? Because, uh, I mean, did the, uh, A-Rod and Jeter never got along, and the Yankees didn't have any hesitation in, in bringing uh, A-Rod along. And, uh, you know, and then uh, Duquette also said that he would have had to take anywhere from 50 to $75 million less than what the Yankees or what the Rangers had eventually paid him. And I said, listen, if you offered him $200 million and you gave him 24, 48 hours to either accept or reject the deal, then you could have moved on. But you could have said to A-Rod, based upon the parameters of the New York market, what we're not offering you in terms of salary, I mean, off the field endorsements and all the product marketing opportunities that A-Rod would have had in New York, he certainly would have been able to make up the money that the Mets would not have matched in terms of payroll that, that Texas eventually ended up paying him. So, I mean, that's one thing. And, you know, I've talked about the NFL draft and the Jets and the Giants. And, um, you know, I feel that Josh Allen is the best quarterback in this, in this draft. Uh, I'd love to see the Jets get him. I don't think he's going to be on the board when they pick at three because I think the Browns are going to take him number one. I don't think the Giants are taking a quarterback at two. I think they're either going to go with Saquon Barkley or they're going to go for the offensive lineman, Quentin Nelson, out of Notre Dame. Um, you know, the Rangers and firing Elaine Vino and the Islanders situation, which uh, continues to befuddle, uh, you know, many Islanders fans in terms of uh, Ledecky, uh, the owner keeping the current arrangement with the uh, the general manager, Garth Snow, and and their head coach. And the Devils, of course, as the, as the uh, last team standing in the metro area as far as playoff hockey is concerned. I've, I've mixed all of that in and uh, so many other things that, uh, you know, I talk about on a regular and consistent basis on the show. I'm having a terrific time. Uh, it's uh, great to be back in my hometown. It's great to be around people that uh, uh, can relate, I think, better to me and uh, an audience, I think, that appreciates the kind of sports radio that I uh, provide. And, uh, you know, we'll be going into our fifth broadcast month as the calendar flips from April, April to May. Uh, shortly ahead, and uh, I'm, I'm just having a terrific time being back, Mike. I, I wish I had made this decision to come back here many years ago. So, yeah, well, it's it's nice to hear you back on and the airwaves and talking and being able to talk New York sports because obviously when you're on a national serious broadcast, you you have the limitations of how much New York you can do. Now, Dino the Dino Show dot com uh, at Dino Radio NYC AM nine seventy on the dial. Tuesday to Friday from 12 to 3 a.m. Anything else the listeners need to know, Dino, to catch you? Are you on uh, iTunes? Can they get the replay? Um, I'm sure there's a number of people who are uh, interested in hearing what you have to say on a on a weekly, daily basis. Yeah, we're on uh, four nights a week, Mike, uh, Tuesday through Friday. That's Monday night late going into Tuesday morning, and then Thursday night late going into Friday morning. Uh, it's on AM 970, as you mentioned, <clears throat> uh, the answer. And, uh, of course, people can listen to the show live. Uh, they can listen to the show live on my website, as you mentioned, uh, thedinoshow.com, or the station website, am970theanswer.com. And, yes, uh, the show is on iTunes. And the uh, the archives of each show are posted on my website, as well as on the am970theanswer.com website. And so uh, people can listen to the show, uh, you know, the next day if they if they uh, can't listen to the show live because of work commitments and needing to get to sleep and things like that. So, Dino, it's been a long time. Pleasure uh, having you on here. Uh, you're on the money here with the Mets, and uh, let's do this again. And I will be listening over at 9:70 a.m. Alrighty, my friend. 
Michael, anytime. It's really good to hear your voice again and catch up with you. And, uh, you know, I've always loved uh, appearing whenever you've asked me to, and I feel privileged to be a part of this. And uh, anytime you need me, I'm, I'm always willing to come on, and uh, I hope I get uh, an opportunity to get together. I think the last time we got together was uh, when I had that Dino dinner when I was still at Sirius yep. XM. So it's, yes. been, it's been quite some time. Yeah, I hope I – <laughs> I think he's still uh, throwing around, uh, for lack of a better word, terrorizing uh, sports talk throughout the. Uh... I think Leslie. I think Leslie today is in Minnesota. Tomorrow he's going to be in Detroit. I don't know where he is these days. <laughs> like where's Waldo? Right? Yeah, where's Waldo? Yeah. All right, Dino. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Have a great night. That's Dino Costa. You can check him out. Like I said, at Dino Radio NYC, uh, nine seventy a.m. Uh, the answer, really interesting stuff. It's funny, uh, you know, he kind of had gone over out west, Wyoming, I think St. Louis, Portland. I was always a Dino fan when, when he was at Sirius. He did have that big Dino dinner when I think it was a movie he was shooting. Um, had a chance to meet Justin Termini, who does a ton of great work over at uh, NBA Radio over on Sirius. And um, that was around the time I was doing my ESPN uh, Long Island radio uh, junket, I guess. And... Um, you know, this is, uh, I love radio. I love doing this podcast. And um, I've met so many cool, interesting people. And, and Dino, whether you agree, disagree, like his opinion, dislike his opinion, he's, he's very compelling. And I've had a ton of respect for how he's gone about the process. And, and look, anybody who's been in radio and, and sacrificed, um, you know, anybody who's been in radio has sacrificed money for their passion. you got to respect that as he continues to move along the radio uh, continuum here and He's back in New York, and I wish him well, and I'll be tuning in uh, to AM 970. And I'm sure we'll have him on again, as uh, it's always good to have different compelling voices on this program. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, final thoughts. want to give you a little bit of a taste of what I think about the, everybody panicking about the weather. Bad weather in Chicago, bad weather in Detroit, bunch of postponements, uh, snow, rain, raw weather here in New York. Um, you know, everybody's freaking out. I think there's also... I think Forbes, our buddy Maury Brown over at Forbes uh, just came out with something that says the attendance has certainly been hit. No surprise there. So let's wrap up. Final thoughts, give you my uh, opinion on the weather and, and what MLB and, and the network should look at here because they really don't have anybody to blame but themselves uh, in a lot of this. So let's take a quick break. When we return, we'll wrap up. Final thoughts here on the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be right back. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back. Final thoughts. I want to thank Dino Costa for joining us. Some interesting stuff he had to say. Um, final thought here. And um, the weather. 
you know, what what was it today? About three or four games postponed out in Detroit. The weather in the Midwest has been awful. Northern Midwest, Central Time Zone, basically. Um, you know, the Mets really the last two nights have not been playing in baseball weather. I'm not blaming that on the on whatever bad play you saw defensively or offensively because both teams are playing in that. But I don't think you got the best baseball of the last 48 hours. And look, it's hard for Major League Baseball to do a lot because you can't con- predict the weather. I mean, who would have thought we'd had four nor'easters in a row in March here in New York? Uh, you can't predict that, and that there'd be snow during the first week of the regular season. Usually, once you hit March 1st, March 5th, yeah, there's been the occasional snowstorm second, third week of March. It's not unprecedented, despite what all the you know global warming crew wants you to know. It's not. I mean, maybe maybe it's been unprecedented in, in the last 20 years or some people's lifetime but if you go back in history it's not unprecedented in any lifetime but regardless of that you have to say that weather plays a big part in a game that no longer just goes 2 hours and 5 minutes i mean it used to be a baseball game would be quick now you've got commercials you've got longer games despite the fact that they've got the, the mound visits under control and that seems to have had a little bit of an impact in terms of the crispness and the flow of the game, you're still going to get today's game was three hours and 30 minutes. You're going to have a three hour game. You're really not going to go much south of that number than three hours. With that said, night games, ESPN night games on East Coast time zones, like they had in Washington, D.C. last Sunday, starting games on the weekend in the evenings, like they did the Mets. And I know the Mets have done some surveys or said that. Most people would prefer night games on Saturday than day games because when you have a day game, it basically kills your whole day. I get that. Maybe you wait till late May, Memorial Day, Mother's Day maybe, May 8th, before you start hammering out the night games on a weekend. Because if you played yesterday's game during the day, you would have had a nice 72, 75 degree Experience. I think the fans would have, you know, could have had a great ballpark experience. I think the, the hitters would have had a good experience. I think you would have had a, a really crisp baseball game yesterday. Instead, instead, the temperature dropped 20 degrees in a matter of a couple of hours after about five o'clock, and you had a, a chilly, not as bad as today, but a chilly day. So I think baseball. It's hard to schedule everybody on the West Coast and in domes. I, I don't think that'd be that easy to schedule everybody there, but. You're going to start the season with days off and trying to get the playoffs done before you know Thanksgiving, which is what happens now. And if you want to start the last week of March, you're going to have to start thinking about those first seven to ten days. Because, yeah, April 15th, this kind of raw weather is not unprecedented in the history of baseball. April 15th, seasons already have started. I mean, back in the day, they thought, what, April 9th, 10th, you know, maybe like the – like the 5th or 6th or 7th. I mean, they wouldn't start April 1st until the end of March other than maybe an outlier here or there. Uh, for the most part, baseball's always been played by April 15th in the United States, even back in the day in his raw and cold days. But because you've already been playing for about three weeks, you've had two weeks of bad weather that you normally wouldn't have had, this stands out more on April 15th. So they really got to start thinking about it. The Mets really should think about in April and May the weekend night games. And ESPN, look, you could have had Mets Nats on national TV later in the year. I know that's a marquee game. You want to get marquee games. You want the best product out there. Whatever. I just think that baseball should say, hey, part of our deal here 
is until about May 15th, try to have those 8 o'clock games, West Coast, Dome games, if you can, um, as best as they can. I mean, Washington, D.C., first, second week of April, you're asking for it. I mean, really, come on. So that's just my final thought about the weather and some of the things you've seen around baseball over the last couple of weeks, because I think the weather has just been, it's been a brutal, brutal spring. Uh, and, and I think what's going to happen is what you saw yesterday. You're just going to all of a sudden see 75 degree days. And I think that spring will just pop up. One day you're going to wake up 75 degrees outside. All your flowers and trees have bloomed overnight. That's what's going to happen. That's what it seems like it's going to be. And, and then you're really into the baseball season. So anyway, I want to thank Dino Costa for joining us today at Dino Radio NYC. Check him out uh, Tuesday to Friday on AM 970. Uh, from 12 to 3 a.m. Of course, I want to thank the good folks over at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silver Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire, as well as the iHeart Radio Network with the grueling truth. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We will be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Take care. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.